0: This is Day 83, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Joshua 6-12, through and Psalm 125. Joshua 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city, with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward. Marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets, the armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord. While the trumpets kept sounding, so on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into His treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys." Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, "'Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates.'" So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Akan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerahah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Aven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, "'Go up and spy out the region.' So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this The hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about it, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction." Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all the belongings to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribe, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and the Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Akon, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Akon, My son, "'Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. "'Tell me what you have done. "'Do not hide it from me.' "'Akan replied, "'It is true. "'I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. "'This is what I have done. "'When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, "'200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, "'I coveted them and took them. "'They are hidden in the ground inside my tent "'with the silver underneath.' So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel took a Khan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tents and all that he had to the valley of Echor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over a Khan they heaped up a large pile of rock, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger, therefore that place has been called the Valley of Akor ever since. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night. With these orders, listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. And I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, They are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hands. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai. To the west of Ai, but Joshua spent that night with the people." Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with them marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So the soldiers took up their positions with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle, at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled toward the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out toward IE the javelin that is in your hand for into your hand, I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out toward the city, the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing toward the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of ai those in the ambush also came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle when Israel on both sides Israel cut them down leaving neither survivors nor fugitives but they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua when Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them and when every one of them had been put to the sword all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai, for Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening, At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate, and they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the laws of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool has been used." On it, they offered the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the Law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Moses the servant of the Lord had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the laws. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. Now, when all the kings went west of the Jordan, heard about these kings, the kings in the hill country and the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and, and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord, your God. For we have heard reports of him, All that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new but see how cracked they are and our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephra, Beeroth. And Kirath, Jeriam, but the Israelites did not attack them, because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you, while actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my Lord they a- they answered Joshua your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you so we feared for our lives because of you and that is why we did this we are now in your hands do to us whatever seems good and right to you so Joshua saved them from the Israelites and they did not kill them "'That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters "'and water carriers for the assembly "'to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord "'at the place the Lord would choose. "'And that is what they are to this day. "'Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, "'heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, "'doing to Ai and its king "'as he had done to Jericho and its king.' and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city. Like one of the royal cities, it was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai, Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jermoth, Japhai, king of Lashish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up! And help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jermuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Bethan Haran, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Maqueda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies as it is written in the book of jashar the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day there has never been a day like it before or since a day when the lord listened to a human being surely the lord was fighting for israel then joshua returned with all israel to the camp of gilgal now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave of mekedah When Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave of Mekedah, he said, Roll large rocks up the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. But don't stop. Pursue your enemies. Attack them from the rear and don't let them reach their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hands. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely. But a few survivors managed to reach their fortified cities. The whole army then returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Mecca, and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eklon. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Then Joshua put the kings to death and exposed their bodies on five poles, and they were left hanging on the poles until evening. At sunset, Joshua gave the order and they took them down from the poles and threw them into the cave where they had been hiding. At the mouth of the cave, they placed large rocks, which are there to this day. That day, Joshua took Mecca. He put the city and its kings to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it. He left no survivors and he did the king to the king of Mecca as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Mecca to Libna and attacked it. The Lord also gave that city and its kings into Israel's hands. The city and everyone in it, Joshua put to the sword. He left no survivors there and he did it to kings as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Libna to Lachish. He took up positions against it and attacked it. The Lord gave Lachish into Israel's hands and Joshua took it on the second day. The city and everyone in it, he put to the sword just as he had done to Libna. Meanwhile, Haram, king of Gezer, had come up from, to help Lachish, but Joshua defeated him and his army until no survivors were left. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Lachish to Eglon. They took up positions against it and attacked it. They captured it the same day and put it to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it, just as they had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They took the city and put it to the sword, together with its kings, its villages, and everyone in it. They left no survivors, just as at Eglon. They totally destroyed it and everyone in it. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him turned around and attacked Debir. They took the city, its king, and its villages and put them to the sword. Everyone in it, they totally destroyed. They left no survivors. They did it to... Debir and its kings as they had done to Libna and its kings and to Hebron. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes. Together with all their kings, he left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who had breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua subdued them from Kadesh, Barnea to Gaza, and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon. All these kings in their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign, because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all of Israel to the camp at Gilgal. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent word to Jobab, king of Madon, to the kings of Shimron and Akshef, and to the northern kings who were in the mountains, in the Arabah, south of Kinnereth, in the western foothills, and in the Nephoth, door on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and west, to the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, and Jebusites in the hill country, and to the Hivites below... Herman in the region of Mizpah. They came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots. A huge army, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. All these kings joined forces and made camp together at the water of Meriam to fight against Israel. The Lord said to Joshua, "Do not be afraid of them, because by this time tomorrow I will hand all of them slain over to Israel." You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Miram and attacked them. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Israel. They defeated them and pursued them all the way to greater Sidon, the Mizrapath, Maim, and the Valley of Mizpah on the east until no survivors were left. Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots. At that time, Joshua turned back and captured Hazor and put its kings to the sword. Hazor had been the head of all these kingdoms. Everyone in it they put to the sword. They totally destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed, and he burned Hazor itself. Joshua took all these royal cities and their kings and put them to the sword. He totally destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. Yet Israel did not burn any of the cities built on their mounds except Hazor, which Joshua burned. The Israelites carried off for themselves all the plunder and livestock of those cities, but all the people they put to the sword until they completely destroyed them not sparing anyone that breathed as the Lord commanded his servant Moses. So Moses commanded Joshua and Joshua did it. He let nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took this entire land, the hill country, all the Negev, the whole region of Goshen, the Western foothills, the Arabah and the mountains of Israel with their foothills from Mount Halak, which rises toward Seir to Baal, God in the Valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and put them to death. Joshua waged war against these kings for a long time, except for the Hivites living in Gibeon. Not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites who took them all in battle. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel, so that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy, as the Lord had commanded Moses. At that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country, from Hebron, Debir, and Anab, from all the hill country of Judah. And from all the hill country of Israel, Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Anakites were left in Israelite territory. Only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod did any survive. So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. These are the kings of the land whom the Israelites defeated and whose territories they took over east of the Jordan, from the Arnon Gorge to Mount Hermon, including all the east side of the Arabah. Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, he ruled from Aror on the rim of the Arnon Gorge from the middle of the gorge to the Jabbok River, which is the border of the Ammonites. This included half of Gilead. He also ruled over the eastern Arabah from the Sea of Galilee, to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, to Beth, Jeshimoth, and then southward below below the slopes of Pisgah, and the territory of Og, king of Bashan, one of the last of the Rephites, who reigned in Ashtaroth and Adria. He ruled over Mount Hermon, Selica, all of Bashan, to the border of the people of Geshur and Mecca, and half of Gilead to the border of Sion, king of Heshbon. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and Israelites conquered them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half tribe of Manasseh, to be their possession. Here's the list of the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan, from Baal Gad in the Valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which rises toward Seir. Joshua gave their lands as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel according to their tribal divisions. The lands included the hill country, the western foothills, the Arabah, the mountain slopes, the wilderness, and the Negev. These were the lands of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These were the kings. The kings of Jericho, one the king of Ai near Bethel, one the king of Jerusalem, one the king of Hebron, one the king of Jerimuth, one the king of Lachish, one the king of Eglon, one the king of Jazir, one the king of Debir, one the king of Geder, one the king of Horma, one the king of Arad, one the king of Libna, one the king of Adullam, one the king of Macada one the king of Bethel, one. The king of Tepua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Ephek, one. The king of Lesheron one. The king of Madon, one. The king of Hazor, one. The king of Shimron, Maran one. The king of Akfash, one. The king of Tanakh, one. The king of Migdu, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jokniam in Carmel, one. The king of Dor in Dor one. The king of Goim in Gilgal, one. The king of Tirzah, one. Thirty-one kings in all. Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people, both now and forever. The scepter of the wicked would not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hand to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with evildoers. Peace be on Israel. Okay, wow, a lot of war, and I read a lot because it kind of all goes together. This is like period of war and wrestling. So I'm going to try to explain this very complicated thing pretty quick, but I think it's good to read it all at once because it's dark but also points to the goodness of God. So let's talk about it. But let's back up for a minute. We left off yesterday with Joshua sending spies who came back and reported the Canaanites were scared of, in quotes, us and not the Lord. And then there was a man with a drawn sword and Joshua asked him, are you for us or our enemies? And the man said, neither. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And then Joshua replies with what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the response was to take off his sandals for the place where he stood was holy and Joshua obeyed. To me, this was a reminder that this mission, this battle is God's, not Israel's or Israel against Canaan. And the Canaanites and Amorites, if you remember from Leviticus 18 and Deuteronomy 12, and as Marty Solomon reminded me of how the Canaanites worshipped idol gods and practiced fertility cults, which were described as extremely morally depraved around sex, reference Leviticus 18. They also engaged in gruesome sacrifice of newborn babies to Baal, reference Deuteronomy 12, verse 29 to 31. Marty pointed out that Canaanite graveyards have been found with tens of thousands of infants in them. Genesis 15 included a conversation with Abraham and God about how the sins of the Canaanites slash Amorites have not yet reached their full measure. God held out for 450 years before this battle. Marty Solomon describes how God endured four to five centuries, hearing the cries of these baby sacrifices, and God wanted total victory over this. On one hand, it's like my soul understands, but then on the other, the total destruction makes me uneasy. And Marty Solomon's response is to fall back and be grateful we are not God and do not have to make such complicated decisions of knowing when to be patient and when enough is enough. God is merciful, but also just, and he will bring order to chaos. We know from all we've been reading that God is slow to anger, abounds in love, is quick to forgive, and loves a thousand generations, but holds three generations accountable. This is a story of war, but also for many, it might be wrestling about these ideas. But I'm reminded of the end of the book of Job, where the reason for Job's suffering and loss is not clear in the way we think. Or want clarity. But instead, God's response is his presence, his relationship, and the reminder to remind us that God himself is wisdom. While being critical thinkers and taking our questions to God is good, we have to be careful regarding the orientation of our hearts. Because if or when we demand God be what we want or think is right, we have repositioned ourselves as God with a little g, and then we're dislocated from the truth. Marty Solomon describes this as the hardest book for him to read in the Bible. It is certainly perplexing, and I think it's equally hard to digest as the book of Judges. It's just perplexing. There are a few things that Marty Solomon points out that I think might be worth noting. Where in Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, we often read about how God said something specific to Moses, and then we would read what Moses said about what God said to Israel. In this book, Joshua is often the one speaking, and God is not speaking, and there isn't a record of God speaking to Joshua in many cases. This doesn't mean God didn't speak to Joshua. It's just interesting and worth noting that the author didn't give us this perspective. These decisions are often intentional and may give us something to think about. Similarly, Marty Solomon describes how Joshua is often acting like a pagan king by putting people on poles, but Joshua is also differentiating himself from other kings by not mocking or chiding them inappropriately, and he has the bodies disposed of by nightfall, which we read was a differentiating mark of Israel. They were to do that. Marty Solomon points out how this feels odd because the whole point of putting someone on a pole was to create fear to the passersby in the days ahead, but if they're put up and then taken down by nightfall, this really may not accomplish that same goal, but it's about God's reputation not Joshua or Israel's. Marty Solomon points out how this all seems or may seem very gruesome to us, but war and conquering were a very common genre of literature and practice in that day. These were the stories told, and this was the culture around them. In this story, God's people are acting like this, but also acting at some point and time differently. There seems to still be a mark of God's edit in some way. As the Bible Project summary video on Joshua's goes, in this story, there are two major conflicts with Canaanite groups, one in Jericho and the other AI, and then over years, several other smaller ones. The first major battle in Jericho was passive, demonstrating God is the architect of victory. And there's also this sense that maybe like Rahab did, the display will cause the people to turn around towards God, but they don't, as the story goes to utter tragedy. And the walls come down with trumpets, which points back to how Israel's main role is to trust and obey God more than to be the victor or to take a win. Then a seemingly opposite point is made in the next battle at IE, wherein Israelite steals and lies about taking some of the devoted goods That were to be given to God. The people of Ai and the other Israelites are akin. The Israelite is totally destroyed. Dr. Mackey points out that these two battles highlight the theme we've been reading. That trust and obedience are key. And here we see that an Israelite is not given an exception. There are consequences for them as there are God's enemies when self-exile in the form of disobedience is chosen. I should, of course, mention that some biblical scholars emphasize the theological point of this war, where others focus on the physical evidence for these battles. Marty Solomon points out that there really hasn't been any substantial physical evidence for any of these battles, but it is, of course, and it could have happened in this way, or perhaps it is hyperbole. Dr. Tim Mackey points out that that it must be hyperbole because while total destruction, no survivors, and all that breathed reference all the verses we just read. It sounds like genocide, but we know there were survivors like Rahab and her family, the Gibeonites, and in Deuteronomy, the Israelites are told not to intermarry or have business deals with them, which Mackie describes as hard to do if everyone is dead. He references Joshua 10, 36 to 39, where the Israelites were said to have totally destroyed two cities and people groups, but then five chapters later, these towns are, are described as still being populated by Canaanites. In this case, there is a clear emphasis on the theological truth, and hyperbole was very common in that time period, so it's something to think about. But the point seems to be that God's arc of victory and his ability to keep his promises is absolute. Marty Solomon and Brett Billings talks about the fact that treaties may have been offered, as was the case for the Hittites and Gibeon or the Gibeonites, but perhaps many refused, which led to their destruction. There were also stories like this. Remember, Rahab and her family and Marty Solomon and I tend to agree and seem to suggest the point of in the sea of all these battles and destruction. There seems to be what's rising to the top of the story, the few that are saved and redeemed. So it's like trust and obedience is a major point, And also that foreigners, even Canaanites, can be saved and redeemed.